You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, good to be with you guys. Happy New Year's. Hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas um, with family and celebrating the birth of our Savior. Uh, my name is Ryan. If I haven't met you, if you're visiting or if you're new, uh, people call me Riz, though. It's a nickname I've had forever, R-I-Z-Z. Uh, I can tell you the story about it uh, afterwards if you want to know it, if I haven't already told you. But um, I'm the church planning pastor here. I got sent out from a little small town called Carpinteria, which it's been in the news because the Thomas Fire, the biggest fire that California ever has had, um, that's where it kind of it right, right was, and so everybody's good. But um, that's where we're from, and uh, got sent here about a year ago, and just been seeing God move and excited for it. And uh, we've been church for like three months now, so it's super fun to see how God's moved, and really excited to, and expectant for God to continue to move in 2018 and what He's doing in this new community. Um, if you've been with us, we've been going through the book of Mark kind of verse by verse, but I wanted to pause for that just for one more week. Um, last week we did Christmas Eve, and this week um, I just wanted to share kind of like a New Year's Eve type of message. We'll jump back into Mark chapter 4 next week, but if you could turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 12. We're going to Old Testament this morning. Uh, this is kind of a verse that we'll refer to and kind of use as kind of a springboard. I won't be reading it probably, um, you know, till about mid-message. But Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 12 is the text this morning. And uh, I'm throwing even another wrench in the gears. And I'm teaching out of the NIV this morning. I'm usually in the NLT. But I appreciate many Bible translations. Uh, and so I'll be reading out of the NIV when we get there, but I do have it on the screen, so it's totally okay if you have a different translation. But uh, before we get into the Word of God this morning in our time, uh, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather in this place today on the last day of the year, on the last Sunday of the year, um, very pivotal to assess and recall and remember all that you've done, and then also to look forward and anticipate and pray in and look to you for what's to come this next year. God, we are thankful for the ways in which you've met us these last few months, but we know, Lord, that you're building your church, um, and the gates of hell will not prevail. That's what you said, and your kingdom is going forth, and we are humbled to be a part of what you're doing on this island already, that we get to, to come and to be a part of that, to join in what you've already been doing. But Lord, we want more of you. If there's, if there's one thing that we could ask for this next year is that we want to encounter the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus more in our lives, in our church, in our gatherings, um, in our kids' church, in our families, in our homes, we want to experience more of Jesus. God, you are the, the centerpiece of our faith. You are uh, our faith. It's what it rests upon, your death and resurrection from the dead. And so we rejoice in you. We recall your goodness this morning. And we ask, Lord, that we would be a people that never forget you. That we would never forget 
who you are and what you've done, but that we would readily keep you at the forefront of our minds as we move forward into the new year, that we would recall and remember you, Jesus. Pray that you bless our time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, today being New Year's Eve and tomorrow being New Year's Day, at this time in our lives, the entire world that is set up on our calendar year, right, we begin to like assess the past year, we look ahead, and we hope for something new and different. That's what always happens. That's what's in marketing and media. And, you know, there's these famous New Year's resolutions. They begin to take form. And all of us, whether we like it or not, we, you know, we, we think about it. How could it be different this year? You know, I had a New Year's resolution at the beginning of 2017. I made it a little bit, but I didn't. Okay, so this year I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And we look forward and we make new plans and new, you know, new resolutions for this upcoming year. Many of those is like the healthier thing. You know, like gym memberships, exercise, working out is huge. I read this one statistic this week that there's an upwards of a 50% increase in gym memberships by the second week in January. Like the entire year goes up 50% of gym memberships because everybody's like, okay, I ate too much during the holidays or I didn't have my exercise goal this year, so I'm going to sign up for a gym membership. And it happens, and we do that not only with gym memberships, but we do that with a lot of things, uh, you know, January 1st, and we, we, we go on and we go on and we, we do these new things. But the reality is, uh, no pun intended, the reality is that these things like don't usually last, or not many of them. Another statistic is that out of all the New Year's resolutions, it's estimated that 80% of people drop off by the second week in February. I don't know how they got this study, but like by mid-February, 80% of people's New Year's resolutions, they're out the window. They're done. Like it was a good month of January, maybe in a little into February, about a twelfth of the year, we're good, and then life happens and busyness and craziness and you lose motivation or you get discouraged and what happens is you stop going to the gym and you stop eating this and you stop doing that and all your New Year's, New Year's resolutions drop away. And as Christians, we do the same things, right? We, we go, okay, I'm going to go to church more, I'm going to serve more, I'm going to give more, and Bible reading is a big one. Right, that's huge. Okay, I'm like, there's so many wonderful Bible reading plans out there, and I'll start tomorrow. And so, a lot of us, I'm sure, are attempting to like read the Bible in the whole year, or go through it chronologically, or do the New Testament, and all these things—church attendance, serving, giving, reading your Bible—they're all good things to fill our life with and to strive for. And again, we need to do it with the right heart and right intention. Otherwise, it'll just be this legalistic regiment and we don't really get anything out of it and we're just doing it to do it. I mean, it needs to be with the right heart. But if our goal is to be with Jesus more, love Jesus more, grow in our faith, get more of him in our lives, then that's awesome. But again, we as Christians are not uh, exempt from the 80% statistic. And so we, we try, right? We try to do these things more. And what happens is, is especially when it comes to Bible reading, we get into like Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You get in like the third, fourth, and fifth book of the Bible. And you're like, I, I don't even know what it's saying. 
There's like seven chapters about sacrifices. How is this even relating to my life? And <laughs> Zan's like, this is the most amazing part. What are you saying? Um, which it is. <clears throat> but what happens is, is usually, if we're going to try to do that, we, we, a lot of us drop off. A lot of us, uh, you know, it leads to discouragement, and I tried, and oh well. Don't get me wrong. I usually do that, and it's amazing, and it's awesome, and it is hard. And I have some incredible resources if you do want to do the reading through the Bible of the year or anything like that. But often, I think what happens is, is we set up all these New Year's resolution, these goals, these new rhythms, this new stuff. And when those things fall apart or when we don't reach those goals or when we fail to keep reading, it often can lead to discouragement. And I think... It's because we try and compartmentalize Jesus. This is what I mean by that. See, when you like go to the gym, you're like, I just have to make time for it. I have to wake up early or go after work. And so that's like your gym time. And I think in a lot of ways, like we try to do that with Jesus. Like where can he fit in? Where can he go? How can I adjust things to have like more Bible reading time? Like, and again, there's not an inherent problem with that, but I think that we may be thinking about our relationship with Jesus a bit wrong. And, and it sets us up for failure, and this is what I mean by that. The way that we should think of Jesus in our relationship to him is how, and again, it's different but similar, is how you would view if you're married or have kids. This is what I mean. If you're married, you're always married, and if you have kids, you're always a parent. Yes, you do or should make that intentional time to be with them, or else it's not going to be a really good marriage or good relationship with your kids, right, if you don't intentionally set some time aside. But it's more than just like, okay, I'm just going to spend time with my wife Thursday nights for one hour and then just not even see or talk to her the rest of the week. That doesn't work. <laughs> People that are married are like, dude, let me tell you, that doesn't work. Same with kids, like you can't just do that. Like when you're married and you have kids, which is a lot of our church, not everybody, but a lot of our church, tons of families, those relationships are like a filter in which you live most of your life. Like your money, time, priorities are all different because of those relationships, or they, they should be. And you, you kind of should be a different person because you're called to those roles or those unique and spe special relationships. Like, it's okay for your life to change. That's not a bad thing. I think we can, we can think, oh, that's a real, it's a, you know, it's bondage, it's this thing, it's the shackle if I get married and have kids. No, it's not. I mean, you can make it that, but, but it's really not. It's a gift and a blessing and an honor. It's okay to your, your, your life to change when you get married and have kids. It's hard for sure. Life's different, but it's not a bad thing. But those relationships inform your life. Like, y you live your life differently. They're always there. It's a filter you have. Like, I'm married and I have kids, and so my life is different than someone else. Not a bad thing, it's just different. Well, back, back to the Lord for a second, because that's just an example. But it's even more with the Lord. And what I mean by that is your Bible reading doesn't mean that that's your only time with Jesus or, or should be your only time. 
Or often like our church attendance doesn't, we think, oh, well, I went to church like two out of four Sundays, so I'm good. Like I, I'm, I, I did that more. Or, or I went like every Sunday, and so I'm good. And so it doesn't work that way. See, those things are really good. Like going to church and reading your Bible and praying, those things are all good. But again, it's not one of those things that is, is supposed to be like our Jesus time. It's supposed to look like a marriage or, or a parent relationship where, like, Jesus is just, like, we're with Jesus. Like, he's a part of our life. He's our Lord. He's always around. And our lives are different because we know him in that way. The same thing is, if you're married or have kids, your life is different. It's not compartmentalized or it shouldn't be. Like, you are just married and you just have kids. The same is with the Lord. We are to look at our relationship with him not so much in a compartmentalized way, but in a more holistic way. The point I'm getting at is looking forward to this next year in relation to our spiritual lives. I believe that we need to look much more of it in a holistic way than a compartmentalized way when it comes to us and Jesus. So again, it's not just like only I'm going to wake up early and read my Bible every day. Yes, that's a good thing. But I think we need to think of it completely different. What I mean by that is our relationship with Jesus should consist of, like, all those things. Thinking about, meditating upon, making decisions based on, talking about, listening to Jesus. Like, it should just be this part of our life that isn't one, one hour of one day, but it should just be like, dude, I belong to Christ. I'm his. He's my Lord and Savior. It should just be a part of who we are. The point is, is that we would keep Jesus continually at the forefront of our minds. The key is that we remember Jesus, like what he's done and who he is. Not, not, not just like when the pastor tells us on Sundays, but it would be a part of our life that we would recall his character, that we would remember his promises, that we'd be reminded of our own personal testimonies of Christ. Again, it's not merely scheduling time. Scheduling time will help. It'll help foster that. But always having him a part of our lives is really the goal. And again, this concept is not a new one. This concept of like keeping Jesus at the forefront of our minds or reminding ourselves of what he did, it's not a new one. Because, you know, we're in like a digital or distractive age and we just like, we get really busy, and then all of a sudden it's Sunday, and we didn't pray, and we didn't read our Bible, and all of a sudden we're at church again. It's not only that way. If, if, if you have read the Bible, if you have read the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, struggled with this immensely. I mean, God's people that were rescued out of Egypt, that saw God face to face, I mean, I mean, his hand face to face, in miraculous, unbelievable ways, still struggled with remembering and being reminded of all that God did. That's mostly what the Old Testament is about. Unfortunately, it's about Israel forgetting what the Lord had done for them. I mean, if, if you have read the Old Testament, and if you've done it in like a more systematic way, you will be blown away at how many times it just tells them to be reminded of. Do not forget. 
do, do not fail to recall what God has done. And what do they do? They always forget. They always forget. They forget what the Lord had just done. And because of that, they disobeyed and turned away from God. And it led them to consequence and sin and rebellion to their God. Because they did not have God at the forefront of their minds. Right? So the story of Israel is, is an amazing one. Right? God miraculously saves them from the hand of Pharaoh after 400 years of slavery. Right through Moses. He sends plagues and he parts the Red Sea in two and he saves them. I mean, we're talking like two and a half million people. That's how many people it's, it's expected that, that, that there was, the children of Israel, at their time. And what he does is he not only saves them out of slavery, but then he provides every one of their needs. You know, manna for food and water. And direction, you know, he, he showed up in a pillow of fire by night and a cloud by day. God was providing for them and rescuing them and leading them. I mean, what more, what more do you need? <laughs> Honestly, God rescues you, he provides everything, and then he leads you. He does all this. He makes them his own covenant people, a people who were called his own and supposed to be representatives to the world. He calls them to himself. And he gives them commandments and laws. And he gives them instructions of how to live. And how not to live. And how to be different than everyone else. In order so that they would not sin and not rebel. And live into God's design for humanity. I mean, if you were a man, woman, or child in this time, you would have been absolutely blown away at, 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 at miracles. Whether, whether it's the parting of the Red Sea or whether every morning you wake up and there's food on the ground in the middle of the desert. I mean, every single morning you would have saw God move in a tangible way. But how did they do with that? Well, if they weren't grumbling or complaining and wishing they were actually back in slavery... Like many times, they're like, why did you bring us out here, Moses? We're here to die in the desert. We want to go back into slavery. Like, are you kidding me? But that's what they were saying. If they weren't grumbling, complaining, or wishing they were back, they began to rebel. They began to turn away. They began to make idols. Remember the golden calf? As Moses is with God, getting instructions, they're down below, just impatient and upset, and they make a golden calf, an idol, and they worship it. Not only that, they were super quick to forget and they were quick to not recall all that God did for them. Many, many, many times throughout each book we see this theme emerge. They are not remembering God. They are not recalling his goodness. They are not keeping him at the forefront of their lives and they are quick. They are quick to forget all that God has done for them. Most of the life of Israel and everything was based off this idea. God knew that we were prone to wander as humans, and he saw his own people doing so really quickly, and so he gave them all these reminders, right? That's the purpose, the absolute purpose of festivals and feasts and sacrifices, of the tabernacle, the temple, the public reading of the Torah, their, their Bible, the Old Testament. Things you could and couldn't eat. Physical reminders like the memorial stones or the Ebenezer stone 
They were all so, everything was meant to point their attention back to God. Like, so they would never forget his goodness and his grace and his character and his deeds. That's why everything, that's why everything was created. And so that on the calendar year, every little bit, they could stop from what they're doing and remember God. The festivals, the feasts, the sacrifices, everything was to point their attention back to God. A famous section of scripture, the section in Deuteronomy 6 most of it is what every practicing Jew will, would have memorized. It would be a, a centerpiece of their morning and evening prayer. These are the words of Moses giving them instruction of how to live. And so I want to read you this. It's, it's Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 12, our text. Moses speaking to the children of Israel right before they enter the promised land. And he says this, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Verse 2, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. So that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, look at verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is incredible that on, on the eve of, of, of entering into the promised land that God had promised long ago, Genesis 12, to Abraham. On the eve of that, these are, these are the instructions, the commandments, almost like the last words in some ways of Moses saying, be sure to do these things. Be sure that you do these things. Verse 4 specifically when it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is called the Shema, or the Shema Yisrael. It is the most famous line prayed by Jews. It's the centerpiece of their Jewish prayer. And they recite it daily, multiple times a day. And the meaning is, there is only one God. Like, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he alone is God. This is the strong belief that there is one, only one true living God. That God being the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a very monotheistic stance. And again, in this setting, in a very polytheistic culture, 
believing in many gods and many deities and many idols people were worshiping. This came against that in a very powerful way. Especially that the children of Israel were entering into a land where many people worshiped false gods and false deities. He said, remember the Lord your God. He is one. There is one true living God that is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they would constantly recite that. They would constantly recite the Shema, reminding them of who God was to them. And this section in Deuteronomy that we just read gives us a blueprint of how we are to remember God continually. And we see the importance of that, right? For ourselves, for our kids, for our kids' kids. This is a very sober warning that Moses is telling the people. He's saying if you yourselves don't remember God and walk in his ways and obey his commandments, it will affect your kids and your grandkids and generations after if you do not start it now. For those of us that have, have kids, that is very sobering, humbling, like get on the carpets and pray and ask the Lord how we can do better type of thing. But there's such vivid and wonderful truth in it. What I want to do is I just want to uh, note a few things about the text we just read. One is, is context and setting. They're on the brink of entering into the promised land. And this land was wonderful. I mean, amazing. Did you see the description? Like, there's vineyards that are planted. There's, there's wells that are dug. There's houses that are filled. I mean, everything. They were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Can you imagine hearing the description of the promised land? This was a land far beyond their wildest dreams that God was giving them. But it was also filled with many people who worshipped other gods. And they would be tried and tempted to turn from God. And so Moses' words was, don't forget God. Do not forget what God has done for you. And that it's God the one that has given you these things. Secondly, let's look at the commands Moses gave them. First and foremost, what's the very first thing Moses tells them? Love God with everything you are. Like, for, if you forget everything else, just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Greatest commandment. Secondly, it says that God's promises and God's words are to be on our hearts. The psalmist in the book of Proverbs says this a lot. That the word of God is supposed to be imprinted upon our hearts, supposed to be written on the tablet of our hearts. And what that means is that we are to take time and pray and practice continually reading scripture and knowing scripture and meditating on it, memorizing it. All those are ways in which we can keep the word of God and the promises of God in our hearts. But then it says, I love verse 7. It says, impress them on your children. Talking about God's word and God's promises. Literally, like, impress them. Like, leave an impression. Give them an impression. Tell them these things. And more than tell them, like, let it be lasting. Like, when you impress anything, it, it takes time. It takes pressure. It takes the ability to, to, to stay. And these are, these are Moses' commands. Love the Lord. Imp uh, have his commandments on our hearts. Impress them on your children. And then he says, ways in which you can be reminded. I mean, I, I love it because Moses actually goes into detail of how you should talk about the Lord to your kids. Do you see that? 
I mean, he just says, you know, verse 7, he says, impress them on your children. And then he says, just talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. That means like when you drive in the car. They don't have cars. So like when you're at home, which you are with your kids a lot, when you walk along the road or when you're in the car, which happens a lot, when, when you lie down, like when you go to bed or when you get up. He, he, he's saying it very practically. Like these are the ways that you impress these things upon your children's hearts. Also, if you guys know, the greatest way to remember anything is to talk about it. Is to talk about it. And so in, 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 a, in a large way, us impressing the word and the promises of God to our kids helps us remember God. The act of telling someone else, especially our kids, and training them and impressing them helps us to remember God ourselves. And the same is true if you don't have kids. Sharing your faith, talking about God, communicating his attributes and his promises to someone else helps you yourself remember God in your day in and day out. He also goes, hey, let's tie the word of God on your head and on your hands, put it on your doorpost, put it on your gates. And so, man, that, that could look like for us, like post-it notes on the mirror of your bathroom. It could be a magnet on the fridge. That's what he's talking about. That could be a painting on the wall that has scripture. I mean, that's the kind of things that he's saying. Keep God at the forefront of our minds. And so for us, we, we, I don't know if, if, you, if, you, if you see this, but we can really relate. We can contextualize for ourselves. Like we too will be tempted and tried. We'll be bombarded and become overly busy. We also need to love Jesus with all that we are. We need to strive to tell and share the truths of God's word to our kids. But most importantly, out of all that, most importantly is what he says in verse 12. Again, the very end of this section, he says all that is good and right and awesome, but be careful that you do not forget the Lord. And then he gives some specifics. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery? If you forget to do everything else, it's whatever. But you cannot forget the Lord and what he's done. And that's really much of the secret of following Christ, is to keep him, his promises, and his testimony right before you. Because if you've walked with the Lord for more than like a minute, right, more than a day, you know what happens when you look to the right or to the left, or when you don't dwell, when you don't meditate, when you don't, on scripture, when you, when you don't think about Jesus, when you don't pray, when you don't worship, when you don't fellowship, when you don't read God's word, we turn, we rebel, we wander, we sin, we dishonor. It's what happens when we do not remember God. We are so easily prone to rebel. And to turn from what we should doing. We all, we all can feel that. Sometimes it happens to some of us like multiple times throughout the day. We get so tempted and tried and burdened by the things of the world that we fail to, to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. And so I think some real easy like three-point takeaways would be number one, like looking at 2018. Number one is we need to like remember him. And what I mean by that is like to really remember God's character. Like, remember his character, that he's the provider and the giver and the comforter. 
Like, he is those things. He's full of unconditional love and grace and mercy. Like, you, we, we have to remember who God is. We can so easily get wrapped up with who we think God is or who the world tells us God is, but we need to dwell upon and read for ourselves and know for ourselves who God is. We also need to remember his promises, like his word for you and I. Like, what does God's word say about you and for you? Do you know that? Have you read it? Do you know where to find it? There is a real importance to knowing Scripture yourself and reading Scripture because you're reminded of the promises of God for you. Psalm 119, the longest book or longest chapter in the Bible, it's all about the Word of God. And over and over and again, it says that the Word of God brings refreshment and revival to us. Like literally, the Word of God revives us or brings refreshment to our souls. But do we know that? Are we reminded of it? Do we know scripture? Or, or are we just kind of waiting for Sunday to get here because the pastor will just tell me what I want to hear? Or do we remember it and dwell upon and meditate on God's word ourselves? And also, it is so important that we remember our own personal testimony. Like we have to remember the ways that God has provided and cared and been with you and met with you and spoken to you and healed you and given to you. Because that's, that's what Moses says. He says, hey, remember God, but specifically remember that he saved you from Egypt. Because they had just walked through that. They had experienced it themselves. God had personally freed them from their situation. And what I'm challenging you to do is remember your Egypt. Whatever that may be for you. Whatever experience or, or life before you came to know the Lord. Or maybe uh, addictions or maybe a lifestyle that wasn't honoring to him. Or, or whatever it is. You need to remember your Egypt. And I do have some homework for you. Uh, it's not like, you know, give you a paper and, and I'm going to grade it. Here's, here's, here's your homework. Is take the time to think about this. Because often we go to church like, that's really good. That's awesome. And then we just walk and we do in the whole week and then we're back. Take time yourself, with your spouse, with a friend to recall what God has done for you this past year. How he's met you, how he's comforted you. It doesn't have to be this last year, but New Year's Eve, it's good to assess and recall all that God's done and look forward. And I will say that it is wise to set up a plan to make adjustments, meaning God's word would say, man, <laughs> like what Moses just said is like set up markers, reminders, guideposts, alert. That's why the children of Israel had festivals and feasts and everything. That's why the word of God was everywhere in their house and on their, on their persons because they needed to be reminded of God. And so for you, what adjustments can you make? How can you be reminded? Can you set up anything different? How can, how can you set up a way in which you recall and your, and your attention is put back to the Lord? Church is a good way to do that. <laughs> Fellowship's a good way to do that. Reading your words is a good way to do that. But it's, but it's a holistic view. It's not just one thing. It's not just putting all your eggs in one basket. It's this holistic view of loving and reminding yourself about Jesus. And if there's anything like as a church family I can challenge us to, 
like this year, looking forward, this next year that we step into, that uh, we meet with the Lord, is that we strive to remember Jesus. Like, like we strive to keep our attention on him, that we keep near to him, walking in obedience, obedience and glorifying him in all we do. That we do not repeat what so many before us have, have done. Even the children of Israel, God's people, have failed to remember the Lord. And my prayer and my hope is that that would not be said of us. That we would be a people that remember the Lord and that we have his word on the tablet of our hearts and we impress these things on our children and our children do the same. Because we're a church made up of families, mostly, I want to challenge us as parents to, like, change. To, 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 to turn the tide that could be generations after generations. I mean, we have that much effect in our kids' lives. I'm super convicted, just so you know. But in a good way, in a healthy way, in a sobering way, just the way that God's word would do it, that by his loving kindness, it would lead me to reassess the way in which I live my life and remember Jesus and how it affects my family and kids. And so church, let's do this. Let's attempt to do it. Let's do it together by the power of the Holy Spirit, not on our own strength. Let's be empowered by God to walk and remember him this year. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you care enough about us that you don't just leave us to our own destruction, that you don't just kind of send us out and do what we want to do, but you, by your grace and mercy, give us direction, and you give us guidelines, and you give us safeguards because you know what's best for us. You know the way we were designed because you designed us. And you have such good things for us. You have such wonderful things. You have such plans for us. And God, we pray that we would not miss out on what you would have for us as a church, uh, individually, uh, with our families, with our spouses, with our kids. We want to remember you this year. And so help us, Lord, to really assess our lives and help us to put up some, some guideposts, some, some reminders, some alerts, some ways in which we can always keep you at the forefront of our, uh, of our minds and our hearts. We want to be a people after your own heart, obedient to your word. And so we ask God for strength. We ask for help. We ask for um, you to lead us and you to guide us in this. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the ways that you provided and cared for your people throughout history, you will do the same for us. We have that truth. We have that promise. So would you do that, Lord? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.